Yeah, it was something else. I was, I was pretty surprised that so many things had, had gone wrong in such a short period of time. But kind of used to the fact that if you're going to stand up and say you believe in God, things aren't going to be smooth. Amen. I mean, anybody here, if, you, if you've confessed Christ and now you just carry on in life and you never have any problems, you might want to recheck that confession. <laughs> you might want to recheck that. This morning, we're looking at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13, and Margaret's going to try to follow me on these, these verses here. If you want to follow along in your, your Bibles, it's Mark chapter 10. Um, I believe I've got ESV on the screen. I've got NIV in my notes. I got all kinds of different translations, but just trust this. The best translation is the one that works into your life. Amen? (laughs) All right, so we're going to be contrasting two scenes. Scene one, scene one, (laughs) is the disciples rebuking people for bringing children to Jesus. Scene one is the disciples rebuking people for bringing little children to Jesus. That just sounds weird. Scene two is a young man who comes to Jesus to ask what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, before we look into the the text there in Mark, I just want to say this about the book of Mark. The scripture begins in Mark 1.1. It begins, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There it is. The, The sond. The sond of God. That's Hebrew for son. Sorry, Margaret, that was me, that was me. The book of Mark is a proclamation of what God and his grace gives us through Jesus Christ. And we're about to join these disciples and Jesus in a scene from the Bible that shows how powerful the gospel is to save those who are helpless. Consequently, or conversely, this passage also will show the utter futility of trying to save yourself. That being said, would you pray with me one more time that God would move and that his gospel would live in our hearts and minds by the power of his Holy Spirit? Because if God lives in us, who can be against us? Father, this morning we are yours. We're yours every day, but this morning we come to you, little children needing a teacher, sheep needing a shepherd. God, may your thoughts be our thoughts. May they incline our actions to do the good works that you alone have prepared for us. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. All right, so Mark 10, 13, we begin in. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Come on, man. Does anybody else look at that one verse and go, what? I mean... They're bringing, they're bringing little children, babies to Jesus. And what do the disciples do? They rebuke them. Uh, that would be akin to the pastoral staff here, Justin and Tony, Dan Decker, Dan Overby, John Hansen, and myself, standing outside Miss Debbie's class going, nope, sorry, ma'am, you and your kid can't come in. That's ridiculous. Why would they do such a thing? I mean, what is going through their mind that the secret disciple screening agency is worried about people bringing little babies up to Jesus. I don't know. If you read the history books and the scholars, some attribute it to the view of children. The view of children at that time in society. What was their worth? Surely, you have to know that back in the day, children were, well, mistreated and undervalued. 
I don't think that's much different today. Do you? I mean, I believe our world shows how we value children by the number of abortions, orphans, and children that are taken advantage of for our own evil purposes. Anybody want to hear the staggering numbers on that? Millions. Between abortion, orphans, and children being sold into every kind of abomination, millions. Our society doesn't look, look well on little kids. On the other hand, I suppose the disciples are thinking that Jesus' time could be better spent with more important people. After all, I mean, what does a child have to offer the kingdom of God, right? He's just a little baby in someone's arms. He's just going to drool, make little noises. But this, this man that we're going to see, he's a rich young ruler. I believe Scripture bears witness to the fact that the, the disciples let him through because of this fact. They think that, yeah, that's the kind of guy you know, God wants to see right there. But before we look at that, let's see how Jesus responds to the disciples rebuking people from bringing little babies. What do you think? Here's what he says. Verse 14 in Mark chapter 10. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now, some of you are probably like me. You don't have a huge vocabulary. So you see a word like indignant and you go, that's got to be bad. But you don't really know what it is, right? I mean, just be humble. I don't know either. I looked it up. Did you know that indignant means something along the lines of irate, vexed, outraged, incensed, angry, furious? All right, John, we get it. Who's looking like that? And who are they looking at? That's Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, the Son of God, the Savior come in the flesh, and now he's looking at you, and he ain't got a stink eye. He's got a look that could kill you. He is irate. For some reason, our little disciple minds have figured that we need to stop people from bringing little babies and children to Jesus. It's a good idea. It's a bad idea. And Jesus gets after them. He gets after them quite a bit. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we all need to be very careful about what our intentions and actions are. We should bring those things to God before we actually do them. To run them by, you know, hey, Lord, is, it, is this a good idea? Hey, should I stop these little babies from seeing you, Lord? You know, just run it by them. I bet you at the discipleship meeting that week, they thought to themselves, hey, guys, note to self, let's not stop the little babies. Jesus gets indignant. That's a bad thing. We shouldn't do things like that, but they thought, they must have thought, well, this ain't a bad idea. Jesus is indignant. And if we're not careful to run our thoughts and actions past Christ, we, like the disciples, are going to do the very thing that they do. Contrary things to what Jesus actually wants. Jesus tells his disciples what he expects of them. Jesus goes on in Mark John, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 14. He says, whoever receives one such child, oh, no, that's the other one. Back, I'm sorry, Margaret, back there. You have them combined. I have them combined. said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, we just read the disciples are rebuking these kids and parents. 
And now the disciples are being rebuked by Jesus for not allowing kids to see him. Jesus goes further and he says, not only are you denying people to see me, but you're denying the very ones the kingdom belongs to. I mean, that's a major mistake right there. Jesus goes further and he tells the disciples, allow these kids, the kingdom belongs to them. Just a side note, does anybody know why the kingdom belongs to these kids? Because Jesus gave it to them. Period. Period. Little drooling babies in the arms of parents don't wax eloquent, don't perform good works, they just drool and go to the bathroom. And Jesus says, these get the kingdom. Keep that in your mind because the scene's going to shift shortly and you're going to see just how convoluted, how twisted our thinking becomes from that of this little child Jesus is talking about. Jesus gives them the kingdom. Now, ironically, Jesus had just given the disciples a lesson by taking a little child in his arms. Now, he says in Mark chapter 9, verse 37, it's coming. Honest it is. Mark 30, bam. i got to get that iPad. Thing. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus has told them already, hey, these, these kids... You're receiving me. Um, I don't think they remembered. <laughs> I don't think they remembered that at all. In fact, they hear whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What do the disciples do with that information? They forbid the little kids to come unto Jesus. Again, backwards. Jesus has told them. Now, again, I, brothers and sisters, I submit to you the disciples meant well but the sum total of their intentions and actions was exactly the opposite of what Jesus was trying to teach them. Jesus goes on in the next verse of Mark chapter 10 to say to the disciples in verse 15, I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So now the disciples, my goodness, now the disciples are told that unless you receive the kingdom like these little children that you're currently denying from my presence, you're never getting in. I don't know about you, but I'd be one freaked out disciple at this point. I'm not like the people I'm supposed to be to get in. I'm denying the people that are supposed to get in. Jesus has told me once. He's told me twice. I'm still doing it. You see, the people of God who make up his church are not a screening agency. We're not a screening agency to, to say or judge who does or doesn't belong here. Last time I checked, we're all sinners saved by grace. Everybody's even. I don't care if you're a little kid in your, children, in your parents' arms or you're an old man in your easy chair. We don't screen for God to see who gets into heaven. The disciples forgot that. We must humbly acknowledge we're like them. We need to be conduits that are connected with Christ to share His way, His truth, His life. Sadly, much too often we conduct ourselves like we're an immigration checkpoint 
people come in, you got the right papers, you naturalized citizen. She said, don't do that. Don't forbid these people to come to me. Much more importantly, we need to, God to teach us to receive the kingdom like a little child. How did they receive it? Well, that's kind of funny. They didn't do nothing. It was just given to them. All right. What does Jesus do? We read in the very next verse of Mark chapter 10, disciples, they rebuked the people, said, don't bring your kids. Jesus tells them, guys, you messed up. Let the kids come. You got to be like them. And look what Jesus does. And don't miss this. Just, just look at that. I, I'm a 45-year-old man. And I look at that, and I'm like, oh, I want to be there. And Jesus took them in his arms. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Or are you, that's too, sorry, John, I'm too much of a man's man. I can't do that. What? Just to feel his hand on my shoulder, the breath of his words on my head as he, he showers blessings upon me. My goodness. Jesus, blessing, holding me. Don't miss that because, brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is Jesus' personal presence and touch in the life of a believer that restores right relationship with God forever. The touch of Jesus gives us hearing, sight, and understanding. He gives that to the simple. Into his presence, he welcomes the weak and lowly, those that society doesn't care about, those that couldn't get there on their own. He holds in his arms the defenseless and blesses us with the words of God. Once a believer is in the arms of Christ, Jesus tells us in the book of John, chapter 10, for some reason I always like to throw verses from John in there. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's, that's a lot of assertions for Jesus to make right there. And I'm, one of them, eternal life, stands out in this verse because that's the big idea of the Bible. God doing what no person could do for himself. God come down to earth as a man to save us. Now, I know you've heard that. I know you've come here. If you've been to church any amount of time, you've heard that message. Jesus is God come to earth, died for our sins, rose again, is coming back and we're all going to join him in heaven. And it, it sounds and feels like that. But it's not supposed to be like it. It's supposed to give life. It's supposed to give joy and peace and patience and kindness. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So Jesus has come to save all who would come to him as a little child and receive his kingdom like a little child. The disciples' actions have demonstrated 
and ours do today. We don't really understand this. This is where the story shifts. I don't, I don't often contrast different passages of Scripture, but I do today because these two are put right together in the same passage. You've got this, this little kid incident and the rebuking, and now you have this, this young man coming up here. And we move to the disciples witnessing a man coming to Jesus. Now, this moment from the Bible is recorded in, in Matthew uh, chapter 19, Mark, the one we're in, chapter 10, and in Luke 18, 18. And from those verses, we see that in 1922, he was a young man, great wealth. Luke, he was a certain ruler. So you've got a rich, young guy here, all right? So from those three accounts, we gather that he's a rich, young ruler. He has it all. He has money, power, and a full lifetime ahead of him. Good. Ironically, these are some of the same idols that our society lauds. Money. Power, youth. I mean, that pretty much describes what's glorified all over the globe. But let's remember at this point that the children are being blessed through no effort of their own. None. Quick look back. How does a kid get there? Someone carries him. Bring him in their arm. Kid didn't even walk. Someone carries him. Um, how did they defend themselves? They couldn't. They didn't say a word. Jesus stepped in and defended their right to see him speaking to his disciples. Furthermore, Jesus takes them in his arms and he blesses them. He does everything. Everything is done for that child to get from wherever that child was into the arms of Jesus. Everything was done for that child at no effort by the child. Keep that in mind. Ultimately, we all have to come to Jesus like that. Not with our efforts. Let's see what efforts look like. But what about this rich young ruler? In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man run up, ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now I want you to notice that Je- this man ran up to Jesus. Now I just want you to stop and ponder just a moment here. Apparently, a little baby in the arms of a woman or a man is much more dangerous than a man running up to Jesus. Because we don't see nobody stopping this guy. Nobody stops him and says, sorry, can't see Jesus today. He's a little busy. Or, sorry, ain't going to happen. This guy comes right up to him. Right up to him. Walks right, runs right up to him. What happened? As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? Good night. How does Jesus answer that? I mean, you know, he calls him good teacher. He he asks the question, what do I do? Jesus looks right back at him. And he says in 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So how does Jesus answer the man with a question? Why do you call me good? In a statement, only God is good. All right. The man says the right words but has no idea that God himself is standing in the flesh before him. None. 
Notice that Jesus doesn't wait for the man's answer to why he called Jesus good. Instead, Jesus follows it up with a question in Mark 10, 19. He says the statement, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not fraud, defraud. Honor your father and mother. All right. Jesus asked the rich young ruler if he's followed all the commandments that deal with how we treat others. The young man answers in the very next verse, verse 20, Teacher, he declares, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now two things, two things just jumped at me when I read that. First, what happened to good? (laughs) What happened? I mean, he come rolling up to Jesus, running up in his nice robes and his... And he falls on his knees in an act of worship and he lays himself out. He seems earnest, people. He seems earnest. He calls him good. But now it's, it's not good teacher anymore. I don't know what that reason is. I just know he doesn't call him good again. Now, it's ironic that the man refrains from giving him this name because Jesus is the only good come from God in the flesh. But this man doesn't know it. So, The second part, he says he kept all those relational commands since he was a boy. Uh, Jewish tradition says that at 12 years old, a youth becomes an adult. All right? I taught junior high for 15 years. (laughs) I just want to tell you, it is a rare, rare occasion you find a junior higher that didn't do all those things, including murder, But honor his mother and father, no way. I know some of you others are teachers out there, and you're just shaking your head like, what was this guy thinking? What kind of smoke is he trying to blow at us? Jesus looks around, or excuse me, the the guy says, I've done this. All right. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's carry on. Give him the benefit of the doubt. The young man confessed to Jesus he has been keeping the command since he was a boy. So how does Jesus respond? We read in verse 21 of Mark 10, Jesus looked at him loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. He's going to wait before he says what that one thing is because he lists some other things. He goes, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And that statement, here's the one thing. He only lacks one thing. Come follow me. One thing. Jesus looked at that young man with love, which is opposed to that look he gave of indignance to, to the disciples. A contrast there. This man, Jesus looks at them, looks at this man with love. He says, get rid of everything and follow me. Why? This rich man's not dependent on God. He doesn't need a parent to carry him to Jesus. He doesn't need someone to defend him. He doesn't need somebody's money. He doesn't need anybody's blessings. He just needs to know what I need to do. I don't want your blessing. I don't want you holding me in your arms. I don't need that stuff. What do you want me to do? Jesus tells him, follow me. And what happens? He goes away sad. In fact, look at this verse from Mark 22. I'm, I'm probably overstating this, but I'm, I'm going to say it how I, how I felt. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. All right, 
disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You've all, uh, if you haven't been there, I pray God brings you through moments like this. But have you ever been sitting at home doing something and you get a call? And the first thing they say on the phone is, I'm sorry, I've got some bad news. And you, <gasps> that feeling? How many of you ever felt that? Have you gotten a call? Isn't that terrible? It's just like, oh. That's what I picture this man. Can you imagine? He's asked how he can attain eternal life, and Jesus says, follow me. He was sincere. He ran up to Jesus. He's kept all the moral codes like Paul did. He's done everything. Jesus tells him, just follow me. He is disheartened. His whole world comes apart on him. He walks away from the, the Savior of the world. And why? Because it's so hard to follow Jesus? No. It says he was sad because he had great possessions. He asked Jesus all that. Jesus says, follow me. And what does he do? He walks away from Jesus back to his moral possession-filled life, denying the one thing he lacks, which is Jesus Christ himself. Look at me with how Jesus responds to this man in verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for a rich, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed at his words, we read. And and no kidding, because this guy just had a face-to-face with the Son of God, and Jesus looks at the man with love and says, all you lack for eternal life is to follow me. And amazingly, the man is saddened by what Jesus says and unbelievably walks away from following Christ. And you look in the next verse, the disciples in 24 are amazed. Why? Look at the very next verse, 24 and 25. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel. This is a famous, famous Bible verse, one of my favorite. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, before you start getting off into this idea that people can't be rich and get into heaven, that's not the point at all. Who's the maker of the rich and the poor? The Lord. It's not about being rich or poor. It's about having a sinful attachment (laughs) to those riches. Some of you are blessed with amazing finances. Use them wisely. Praise the Lord. Some of you have a little bit more humble means of living. Praise the Lord. But don't become so attached to what little or much you have that you forget to see that it's really about following Jesus. So, the disciples are even more amazed. And Jesus clarifies what he means by hard with a word picture of a camel going through the eye of the needle. What Jesus is saying is, it's impossible, can't happen, can't happen. It's impossible for a rich young man on the basis of his riches and his moral behavior towards others to enter the kingdom of God. That's all he's saying, can't happen. And this is what amazes the disciples in the first place. Look at what happens to their amazement in the very next verse. We read in Mark ten twenty six, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? I think I'd be pretty amazed too because this guy seems to have it all together. I mean, he morally 
you know, does all the right things. And seems like he's financially said he's a ruler. I mean, he's over people. He's everything you'd want. But Jesus has just told them about being like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom of heaven is made up of little children. The lesson of being like a little child to enter the kingdom of God has come in full circle. It's come in full circle. And a live enactment is taking place before the very eyes of the disciples and the very ears of us. What Jesus said back there that said, you've got to be like a kid, is going to come to pass now. And he's going to show what he means by that. Who then can be saved? Well, let's see if we can see it. The disciples are thinking in terms of a merit system. Good works, good person, good in and for our community. Their thinking concludes that rich young men who respect and honor their parents and neighbors, well, they deserve face time with Jesus here and in heaven. <laughs> and Jesus is telling them and showing them that all those things mean nothing apart from following Christ. Now, Jesus answers the question of who then can be saved in the next verse of Mark chapter 10. We read in verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. Hmm. So that salvation thing. With man? Impossible. With God? Possible. Amen. Seems like a simple, simple thing. That's, the gospel is not, is not so intellectually deep that you can't understand it. A child understands it. God saves people. People do not save people. So what happens? Jesus told the young man to follow because God can save and will save. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he has forgiven our sins and is bringing children of all ages into his kingdom. That is the gospel. That is what we are to share with the people God has put around us. I have no other message in this world than God himself came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross for my sins, the sins of the world. He was buried, but he rose again the third day and appeared to the disciples and to many others for 40 days. And after that, he arose to the right hand of the Father, in heaven, the Almighty. And one day, I'll fly away. He's coming. He's coming. That's the gospel. There's no tricks to it. There's no fancy words or schemes. It's the truth of God come to us to take us from where we are to where he is so that we can know him and love him and love each other. Peter says to him in verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. Reminding Jesus that, hey, you know that guy, that rich guy, he didn't leave everything, but we did. Jesus, what about us? We left everything. And those of you that have read the Bible, you know that they did. They dropped their livelihood right then and there. And off they went with Jesus. Now, I've seen people do it. I, if God calls them to do that, it's a cool thing. You know, It's a cool thing to see someone right in the midst of just their ordinary life, keep going on and, and serve the Lord. But 
I've seen that where people just drop everything and bam, they're going another way. Jesus has that power. And he looks at this man, he says, come on, get out of that, that rich ruler thing. You need to just come follow me. You need eternal life. Man says, can't do it. Peter says, we did it, Lord. We left everything. Look what Jesus says to him in verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or land for my sake and for the gospel. Is there another verse there? Go ahead. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, say it together, persecutions. Please, please don't think that coming to God is all roses and angel babies singing in your ear. It is not. In your life, you will have trouble. And Jesus says, yes, you're going to get all that stuff back in this lifetime like Job did. But it comes with persecutions. But look at the end. And in the age to come, eternal life. That's the I'll fly away part. That's good news, people. You see, the thinking of the rich young ruler and the disciples placed a high value on the thoughts and work of men when it came to salvation. But Jesus shows us that in the mind and God, uh, excuse me, but Jesus shows us that it is the mind of God and the work of God that enables people to be saved. Jesus has done the work of God for the salvation of all who are graced to believe in him. That is the gospel. Jesus has done the work of God for the salvation of all who are graced to believe in him. That is the gospel. Do not lose sight of that. Jesus finishes up the scene with this statement from Mark 10.31. He says in it, But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This world loves the well-dressed, well-spoken, Self-assured, independent, cavalier spirit of America. I said that like George Bush, America. <laughs> Sorry, America. God says, I ain't impressed with that. I want you to be like a little kid. Let me ask you. There are people who work to receive their reward here. And they're surely going to get it. Is that what you're working for? Is that really what you want? What this world has to offer? I want to end with this, this verse. And look what he says. Look what he says in Matthew 6.19-21. through 21. Matthew 6.19-21. Do not. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't strive after this world. It's fading. It's fading it's failing, it's futile, and all the other F words you can think of. Call out to Christ. 
beg Him to give you a heart and mind of a little child that receives the kingdom of God, that believes the King, that will follow Him at the cost of anything in this world. Will you take this time with me to ask God, where is my heart? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Let's pray together. God, I know that in this room,